why did the mushroom get invited to all of the parties? Because he was a fun guy. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Starting Sustainability, episode 101. I am your host, Kaylin Chenoweth. And today, the main topic is foraging, which is why I went scouring on the internet for mushroom jokes. And there's so many, it was really hard to pick one. So here's a bonus joke just for you. Did you hear the joke about the fungus? You won't like it, but it will grow on you. <laughs> Okay, that's enough of the fungus and mushroom jokes for today. <laughs> Before we dive into the world of foraging, let me tell you what I have been up to lately. I went grocery shopping. No, that's not the big reveal. I did go grocery shopping, but the part that I wanted to share with you is that I saw a new product beside the glass Starbucks Frappuccinos, and it's called Soylent. It is a ready-to-drink meal. It's a creamy chocolate flavor. It has 20 grams of plant protein, and it's supposed to be really awesome. And when I first saw this, my very first thought was, Soylent Green is becoming a reality. And that set off just a little bit of panic inside of my body. And then I calmed myself down just a little bit by rationalizing, this is a Soylent product, and it is a chocolatey flavor, nothing green. And then I turned the corner and saw, there's a new flavor on its way, minty chocolate flavor green. So Soylent Green really might be becoming a reality. For those of you who don't know, Soylent Green is a movie from 1973 starring Charleston Heston. This is described from IMED as a nightmarish futuristic fantasy about the controlling power of big corporations and an innocent cop who stumbles upon the truth. The future in the movie is 2022. And it is currently the last quarter of 2021. And thanks to COVID, big companies have skyrocketed and many mom and pop places have been forced to close. In the movie, unemployment is 50%. Also pretty creepy. Summers are hot with temperatures over 90 degrees Fahrenheit due to the Earth's climate change from the greenhouse effect. Remember, this movie's from 1973 and these are its predictions. And so far, it's doing really well. In the movie, food is a rare and expensive commodity, and the world's population survives off of processed rations. Think dry and terrible wafer bars, and those are called Soylent Red and Soylent Yellow. These were the two flavors. Then in the movie, the scientists create a new source of food called Soylent Green, and it is advertised as being produced from a high-energy plankton. Spoiler alert. Is it still called a spoiler alert if the movie is almost 50 years old? Either way, in the end, Charleston Heston, who plays the police detective, discovers Soylent Green. This is the quote from the movie. Soylent Green is people. And they are taking dead people, their corpses, and turning them into a food source called Soylent Green. I hope to goodness gracious we are never in such an overpopulated state where that happens. The good news is, today we're going to learn about foraging which will be a great skill to have just in case the food supply totally diminishes. A couple of weeks ago, my husband asked me, why are you so into foraging lately? Why is this such a big deal for you? And I have had a desire to go foraging for a while now. I did successfully grow tomatoes and a loofah plant this year, but I am no master gardener. Gardening does take a lot of time and effort. 
I am intrigued by foraging because basically nature grows the plant, not me, and all I have to do is show up at the right time to pick it. It is literally free food with a lot less effort than gardening, or at least it appears that way. <laughs> I haven't really become great at foraging yet. But that is the main reason why I was initially attracted to foraging. Free food with a lot less effort. I just go for a walk in the woods instead of the grocery store. And no single-use plastic packaging either. Plus, it is as fresh as it can be. You are literally picking it to eat it right then and there. Well, wash it first. But food tastes way better when it is ripe right off of the vine, bush, tree, etc., for example, blackberries. I bought some blackberries from the grocery store because they were a dollar for the whole container. What a deal. Total discount. Super excited. I took them home and shared them with my kids, and they tasted like water. They were very juicy and gigantic, but no flavor at all. And I did this a few weeks ago when it was prime blackberry season. So what the heck? When you see them out in the wild, they are small and tiny, but pack major flavor. And it is so much better than the junk that the grocery store is telling us is food. But it is not. That is not real food. It is rather questionable when you cannot recognize foods out in nature because they do not look like the foods in the store. That should be a gigantic red flag. What are we truly eating? When it comes to foraging, it is intimidating to think I must learn all of these plants on earth in order to figure out if I can eat them. But then I sat there and remembered, I do know what a dandelion is. I do know what a maple tree looks like, an oak tree and its acorn, or a pine tree and a pine cone. So if I can learn these things from back in fourth grade when I had to do a leaf collection and retain it, then now with my adult brain and a thirst for knowledge and a desire to learn, I can surely learn about plants to forage. And I don't have to learn all of them. I just need to learn a few I can identify that I can eat. That takes it down from thousands of plants to maybe 10 or 20 or 30 and makes it a lot easier. Foraging isn't going to be hard once you learn the plants and you know which ones you are looking for. It's just unknown. That's why it's so intimidating. Same with composting. It was very unknown and took me way too long to get started with that. And now that October is here, composting on the weekends has completely ended. But now I'm brave enough to try it at home by myself with a spare garden bed to throw in the scraps. Yes, it'll be the trench composting that David Guyon in episode 72 told us about. And we discovered that we can throw scrap meat, which you don't want in the compost because it smells and attracts pests. We can fish with that in our backyard. We did that once because my husband ran out of worms and was too lazy to dig it up. And we had some old hot dogs in our fridge and he thought, huh, I wonder if I can fish with this. And it turns out the fish gobble that right up. Who knew that fish were so carnivorous? Anyway, I want to point out that the definition of foraging is walking around and looking for food. That includes edible plants, fungi like mushrooms, insects, worms, snails, and yes, other creatures like duck, pheasants, deer, and bears. Hunters are looking for live food, and I'm looking for food ready to eat that I don't have to kill, process, or haul out of the woods. Well, I guess I do have to carry it out, but it's not going to be nearly as heavy as a grown deer. And depending on the plant, I will have to process it, but not to the extent that you would an entire deer. <laughs> My point is, foraging and hunting go hand in hand. And explaining it that way did get my husband's attention, and now he can relate. We both go for a walk in the great outdoors. I have my eyes peeled for plants, and his eyes are focused on animals. To prepare for this episode, 
I did sign up and took an online course that was a video series. I also started following a YouTube channel called Eat the Weeds, and I did a live webinar class from Alexis Nicole Nelson, also known as the Black Forager. I combined all of the information that I have received and put together what you will need to know for the basics of foraging, like foraging 101 introductory to foraging. This is just to get you started. Just because I took a few classes does not mean I am an expert and I am definitely not claiming to be an expert. This is just kind of to get you the knowledge of what foraging is and what to look for. And if you like it, then keep going with it and sharpen your skills and get a strong foundation of knowledge. You never know when you're going to need it. Here we go. Foraging basics. Step one, get resources. Learn the information first. What I did is I watched Eat the Weeds. This is a YouTube channel by Green Dean. That's the guy in the videos. He lives in Florida. If you don't live in Florida, like me, (laughs) then you can still use his website to find a foraging instructor for your state. He also recommends find your state's native plant society and get involved with them for educational opportunities. So I went to his website, eattheweeds.com. And I hunted around and I found my state, Indiana, and clicked on And yes, I did find a foraging instructor. It turned out to be a pre-recorded video series for 18 bucks. But hey, I figured that wasn't a bad price, so I went for it. And I watched most of the videos so far. There's 17 total and I think I'm on like 12. I haven't finished yet and that's mostly because these are all for the springtime. These are all plants to forage in the springtime and it's currently fall. So I've kind of been slow to watch them just because I decided to go for other resources that could get me the information that I wanted right now for the fall. But don't worry, come spring 2022, I'll be re-watching that video series so I am completely refreshed and know what plants to look for. I also joined Facebook groups. I joined Forging 101 and Forging for Beginners. And from those groups, I've learned about the best apps and books, which I'm going to share with you now. The best apps that were most consistently recommended was PlantNet. Looks like Planet, but with an extra T in the middle. PlantNet, all one word. And then the other app is called iNaturalist. These are the top two apps that everybody recommended. The way these apps work is if you're going for a walk in a meadow or woods or whatever and you see a plant and you think, hmm, I wonder what that is. You can pull up the app, take a picture. Now you want to focus on the flower, the leaves, the stem, the entire plant itself, not just a zoom in of one part of it. And focus on that. Get multiple pictures for better, for more accurate identification, I should say. And the app will pick up where you are GPS-wise from even more accurate identification. But even with all of that technology, the people in the Facebook groups will still tell you these apps are not 100% accurate. So you use the apps to help you learn, but you cannot solely rely on the apps alone. You can also bring field guide books and the best books from what I've been able to find are books by Samuel Thayer. T-H-A-Y-E-R, Samuel Thayer. And there are three of these books. The Forger's Harvest, Nature's Garden, and Incredible Wild Edibles. And after unsuccessfully trying to find them at the library, using friends, or even just used online, I did end up purchasing these books brand new because I couldn't get them anywhere else and I was getting really eager trying to get a hold of these books. And they are scheduled to come into the mail today. 
I'm currently at work recording on my lunch break. So I have to wait until I get home at six o'clock tonight to open up my package and see these books. And I'll have to tell you all about them next week. The point is you would use field guide books that have pictures and give descriptions of the plant and teach you what features to look for to help you identify the plant. And you can use the app so that way you've got multiple resources to use to confirm and identify a plant. And of course, the number one way to identify a plant, the most accurate way would be, Green Dean's advice, go with a local expert. Find a local expert to go foraging with and let them be there to help you identify and confirm things. After you gather your resources and you start the learning process, then step two, you can go explore and start learning the skill of identifying plants. Where can you go? Public lands, friends and families with property. You can also go in your own backyard. Yes, you truly can eat your weeds. (laughs) Stop manicuring your lawn with chemicals and just let it grow naturally. Mother nature doesn't know the difference between a weed and a cultivated plant. And if you have an HOA like I do, then keep the front yard nice and the part in the back, especially if it's fenced in, you can do whatever the heck you want with that. Let it go all natural. And if you still want a nice backyard, like I've got kids and dogs, so I want a nice area to run around in. We want to have campfires in the backyard. Then just create like a flower bed area where you just let it grow wild and see what grows. You would be surprised what you can grow in your own backyard that is edible. For example, dandelions are edible. The leaves can go in a salad, the root can go in a tea, or you can roast it to make a dandelion coffee, and the flowers can be turned into a jam or wine. It is safe to say that most yards, especially residential yards, can grow dandelions. They just pop up all on their own. When foraging, there are some rules to remember, and we're going to go over that next. The most important rule, rule number one, never eat a wild plant without first checking with a local expert. But I have the app. The apps are not 100% accurate, and many people will find a plant, take a picture, check it in both apps, and then confirm with the Facebook groups and with their books. Have multiple resources, especially if you cannot find a local expert. There are many look-alike plants, and you don't want to accidentally feed your family something that's going to poison them. People will also post a picture of the plant in the Facebook group and ask if there are any lookalikes that they need to be aware of. That is also a really good habit to get into. If you think you know what this plant is, but you're not 100% sure, then post it and ask, what are the lookalikes? Are there poisonous lookalikes? That's a great way to find out. Let's say you're going for a stroll, you're walking along, and you just see a random plant. How do you know if that plant is edible or not? Green Dean from Eat the Weeds of YouTube, plus he's got eattheweeds.com. I'm not getting paid to promote him. He's never met me. He's never talked to me. But I just found his resources very accurate. And that guy knows his stuff. So I'm giving him all the credit. He says to itemize your plants. I-T-E-M, item. Itemize your plants. These are the rules to follow to stay safe and healthy. As part of the itemized system, I equals identify. You have to identify the right plant. T stands for time of year. Is it doing what it's supposed to be doing at the right time of year? E stands for environment. Two things come with the environment. Is it in the right environment? And is it wholesome? And M, method and preparation. So now we're going to go back over each one of those in more detail. Identifying the plant. The best way to ID the plant is with a local expert and a good identification book. 
To find a local expert, contact your native plant society. They have friendly, knowledgeable people who can ID edible plants. It's usually low cost or free. This is the safest and quickest way to learn. You can do it on your own, but it is not the safest or the quickest way. T, time of year. If your guidebook says it's supposed to be blossoming in September and you found one that is blossoming in June, you might have the wrong plant. Plants can bloom during the wrong time from what your guidebook says, but that is dependent on weather and climate you are in. Some plants will only blossom and produce berries once per year up north, but in Florida, where it's tropical, it happens twice a year. The time of year category isn't always used to rule out a plant if you can accurately answer why it is out of season. And that's where a local expert would help you understand why the plant might be doing something that is different than what the guidebook says. Environment. Is it the right environment? If it is a plant that likes to be near water and it is growing in a sand trap, you might have the wrong plant. In Florida, due to heavy rains, it is possible to find a bog plant in a dry area or water-loving plant in a dry area because the water has gone away. It's important to study with a local person because they would know those things. Also, environmental changes can make a plant grow differently than what the guidebook says. More important aspects of the environment to consider is if the water the plants have been receiving is good or if it is in good soil. This is a great challenge <laughs> to find out if both the soil and the water that the plant has been using are safe. Again, a local person would know if there was any toxic spills or contamination in the area. The last one is M, method of preparation. Some plants, like the pokeweed, have to be boiled two to three times. Some roots also have to be boiled to be safe to eat. Even nuts, like chestnuts, have to be roasted to make them safe. Think of a raw potato. If you cut it, there's a little green layer by the skin. That is a natural pesticide and it will make you ill if you eat the potato raw. But when you cook the potato, that green layer breaks down and disappears and now it is safe to eat the cooked potato. Same for some of the nuts or roots or leaves. They're gonna cause harm or make you really sick raw, but if you cook them, they're safe. But there's also plenty of other things that are safe to eat raw. This is where you need to know about the plant and how to properly prepare it to make it safe. When you are foraging, go through each part of the item, I-T-E-M process, and verify each one. Other helpful tips include, <laughs> if it looks like a mint and it smells like a mint, then it is one and it is edible, but it must have both characteristics. Same for an onion. If it looks like an onion and it smells like an onion, then it's pretty much an onion and it is edible, but it must have both. If it only looks like an onion and does not smell like one or only smells like an onion, but does not look like one, then it's not an onion. It has to have both characteristics. And these characteristics hold true not only for mints and onions, but also for garlic. Another tip to know, all mustards are edible. That has varying degrees though, because up north, mustards are very mild and can be eaten in a salad. But the further south you go, like in Florida, they are much stronger and need to be boiled for 20 minutes in order to make them palatable. Another thing to point out, just because a plant is edible doesn't mean the entire plant is edible. Sometimes it's just the root or just the flower or just the leaves or just the berries. You have to know which parts are edible. Another very helpful tip to know, 
Always avoid white berries. They are never edible. Avoid white berries. Never, ever, ever. Another thing to avoid would be plants with white sap. They are mostly not edible. As in, most plants with white sap are not edible. However, there are a few exceptions that are pretty common and easy to identify, like wild lettuce. But if you don't know what it is and you're not sure and it's got white sap, avoid it. One last piece of information that I want you to remember is that all fungi are edible. Some fungi are only edible once. Get it? That's another joke. (laughs) So all fungi are edible, but some are only edible once because they're poisonous and can kill you. So be sure you know what you're eating. When you're out foraging, we want to be safe. Don't eat plants by the roadways. Those plants are sitting in exhaust from cars all day, every day. They are covered in toxins and heavy metals like cadmium, lead, asbestos, rubber, paint, motor oil, grease. Even though the plants were naturally safe, so many toxic chemicals were sprayed onto them from the exhaust, they are all contaminated and no longer safe. Think about the snow and how dirty and disgusting it gets along the side of the road in the wintertime. It literally turns black. That is all from the exhaust. You will want to know the area where you will be harvesting. If it's your own backyard, were pesticides used? Did your dog go pee on the plants? Same for foraging in a neighbor's or a friend's yard or property. Or even at a public park. Did they use pesticides? Was there a toxic spill of something? You're going to want to know the area. You can check the EPA spill report to see where toxic spills have occurred in your area. If they have, don't forge downstream because even if the spill is on land, it will make its way to the waterways and contaminate the surrounding areas. There's a special website you can go to. It's the EPA website, and then you're going to search for Superfund sites. I will tag in the link for the show notes on this, and the show notes will be www.startingsustainability.com backslash episode 101 or 101. Okay, so now we've got our resources and the knowledge. We know how to itemize plants. We have rules to keep us safe. We know how to find safe areas to forage in. So then the last bit would be to go forage. So I want to give credit to Alexis Nicole Nelson. This is the, she hosted the class that I took on September 25th called Fall Foraging. Remember, after you get your resources of books and know what plants to look for, then you can go out and start finding edible plants. Different plants grow, bloom, pollinate, and fruit at different times of the year year-round. Here are six plants you can look for right now in the fall. These plants are easily found in your neighborhood or park. Of course, you can also go to a forest, but I thought I'd make this list as easy as possible. Remember, only harvest and eat plants if you are completely sure of what it is. It is ideal to have an expert with you when identifying. We do not want any misidentification. I'm saying that out loud so nobody tries to sue me. I am telling you now, I am not the expert. I also understand this is audio. I strongly recommend that you write down the name of these plants so you can look up pictures and know exactly what you are looking for. The first is the dandelion. These are common and most of you know what they look like already. They show up in the spring and make a resurgence in the fall. You can even eat the leaves in a salad. However, the younger the leaves, the better they are. Spring leaves are good and tasty. Fall leaves have been around for a while and they are very bitter. But you can harvest the flowers right now and use them to make fritters 
or dandelion wine. You can also dig up the root and eat it as a vegetable. Just saute it with some salt and pepper. You can also roast the dandelion roots in the oven and then steep them in hot water to make a dandelion root coffee. I have not done this yet. I only learned about this a couple weeks ago, but I am excited to give it a try. Next is the American persimmon. Ripe ones will be the size of a golf ball that would be much smaller than in the grocery store, and they are orange. You want the ones on the ground, or if you gently shake the tree, you want the ones that are falling off with a gentle shake. Those are the ones that are ready. If you must pull them off of the tree, they will be tannic, which means it's going to leave your mouth feeling very dry and puckered. Number three are crab apples and ornamental pears. If you live in a residential neighborhood, you know what an ornamental pear is and most likely have one in your yard. These are the trees that bloom white flowers in the springtime and they smell like rotten cheese or fish. And in the fall, they fruit itty bitty little fruits and these are edible. Crab apples are everywhere and easy to find. Both of these fruits can be used to make jam or jelly. Even more cool is the fact that they have enough pectin in them to set on their own, so you don't even need to buy that ingredient. The fourth item is pawpaws, also known as hillbilly mangoes. These are near creeks, streams, rivers, and on slopes. Follow your nose. They smell like honey and vinegar. Look for a tree with long, dark, green, gently glossy leaves hanging downward and a thin, gray, bendy trunk. They are ripe when they fall off the tree. Shake the tree and gather the fruits that fall. These should be soft and leave a thumb indent if squeezed. Number five is the hazel nut tree. Follow the squirrels. They will lead you to fruits and nuts and you can share with them. Hazel nut will have a paper sheath coating. Number six, beech tree. The American beech is on the eastern side of the U.S. The bark usually has a name carved into it. Beech nuts are gently toxic, but if you roast them for 15 minutes, then they'll become safe to eat. You can eat them plain as if for a snack, and because they have a really high oil content, you can even use a food processor to turn them into a nut butter. The tree will fake you out with some fake husks. There should be a husk, a shell, and then a nut. Wait for the husks to turn brown and start to open, then go foraging from the tree. Remember, this list is to get you started. There are many other plants that can be foraged right now. If you do forage and find some goodies, please share them on the Starting Sustainability Facebook group. I would absolutely love to see what you find. Once you have mastered foraging in your own backyard, in your neighborhood, or at the local park, then you can branch out to other areas. If you want to forage at a state park or a forest, call and talk to the park rangers first. Sometimes they will allow for foraging, especially for invasive species, and sometimes they won't allow for it because the plants are not at their full potential. So it just depends what plants you want to forage and what time of year it is and how the plants are doing at that point in time. National forests generally allow for foraging of nuts and berries, but please still call a park ranger in advance just to confirm. Also be aware, depending on what plant you are foraging and what area you are in, sometimes you will need a special permit for these specific plants. And once you have gathered all of your goodies, what are you going to do with them? I have some cookbook suggestions. There is a three-book series by Alan Burgo, B-E-R-G-O. The books are called The Forager Chef's Book of Flora, The Forager Chef's Book of Fauna, and the Forger Chef's Book of Fungi. So he's got a book for flora, 
Fauna, and Fungi, and they're all by Alan Burgo. These are great cookbooks. Other cookbooks include Forage, Wild Plants to Gather, Cook, and Eat, and that is by Liz Knight. Knight is K-N-I-G-H-T. And the last one is Forage, Harvest, Feast, and that is by Marie Viljoen. I think it's Viljoen. V-I-L-J-O-E-N. And yes, I will have all of these within the show notes. And that's it for foraging, the basic level anyways. I hope there was some good stuff in there that you'd never heard of before, so you got a lot out of this and learned something new. We are nearing the end of the episode, which means it is time for a weekly challenge. Open up my tin here, draw a card, and it says, whenever you get takeout, make a note on the order not to include any cutlery or napkins. You have both of those things at home. That is a really great idea. I don't get takeout very often, but when I do, I don't do that. (laughs) So now I'm going to. And I know that I have napkins and forks at home, but I just always forget to think. I'm so focused on here's what I want to eat and I need to eat right now that that's my main focus. And I forget I don't need all of the additional wasteful items, the single use items. So let's do that going forward. The next time and every single time that you do takeout, Make a note on the order to not include any cutlery or napkins. That is all today, Sustainer Nation. Thank you very much for another successful episode. Be sure to tune in next week because we're going to have a very special, creepy Halloween edition episode. I'm so excited because I've been working on it for many weeks now. I've got a lot of really fun, spooky and eerie things incorporated into it. Continue to save the world or forage it. And I will talk to you all again next week. Have a great one. Bye. Welcome to the Realistic Sustainability Podcast, a guide to greening your life. Each week, we will explore sustainability concepts and what we can do to reduce our family's carbon footprint while growing our positive footprint. This show supports step-by-step progress without those extreme jump-all-in measures. So join us on Anchor or your favorite podcast platform and subscribe today.